26. During this time, as the disciples were increasing in numbers by leaps and bounds, hard feelings developed among the Greek-speaking believers, Hellenists, toward the Hebrew-speaking believers because their widows were being discriminated against in the daily food lines. So the twelve called a meeting of the disciples. They said, It wouldn't be right for us to abandon our responsibilities for preaching and teaching the word of God to help with the care of the poor. So, friends, choose seven men from among you whom everyone trusts, men full of the Holy Spirit and good sense, and we'll assign them this task. Meanwhile, we'll stick to our assigned tasks of prayer and speaking God's word. The congregation thought this was a great idea. They went ahead and chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. Then they were presented them to the apostles, praying. The apostles laid on hands and commissioned them for their task. The word of God prospered. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased dramatically. Not least, a great many priests submitted themselves to the faith. Stephen, brimming with God's grace and energy, was doing wonderful things among the people unmistakable signs that God was among them. But then some men from the meeting place whose membership was made up of freed slaves, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and some others from Cilicia and Asia went up against him trying to argue him down. But they were no match for his wisdom and spirit when he spoke. So in secret, they bribed men to lie. We heard him cursing Moses and God. That stirred up the people, the religious leaders, and religion scholars. They grabbed Stephen and took him before the high council. They put forward their bribed witnesses to testify, this man talks nonstop against the holy place and God's law. We even heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth would tear this place down and throw out all the customs Moses gave us. As all those who sat on the high council looked at Stephen, they found that they couldn't take their eyes off him. His face was like the face of an angel. The word of God for the world. Sometimes, because of things that are happening in the landscape of the congregation or the world or in my own soul, I deviate from the, t the focal text that we chose a month or two ago. And so today I'm going to do that a little bit. We will make some connections with this text. But I also want to read another one to sandwich them. This is from Colossians 1 verses 17 and 18. Jesus himself is before all things and in all things or in Jesus all things 
holds hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. Our central confession when we decide to become followers of this Jesus is Jesus is Lord. You know the hymn, Jesus is Lord of all. <laughs> Lord of my thoughts and my service each day, Jesus is Lord of all. How many of you used to sing that and think, I am the biggest liar? <laughs> that hymn plagued me as a, as a child, well, a youth, when sort of I had given confession that Jesus is Lord, and I thought, I am not giving Jesus everything. Um, Jesus is not Lord of all. So I, it felt very disingenuous for me to, to sing that hymn, even though now I kind of understand the collective ethos behind it, it's sort of the intention. It's interesting, though, that we have this confession of faith. That it's not that we just give intellectual assent, that we believe in Jesus, as one text says, even the demons believe and shudder. But we are called to make Jesus Lord, this daily surrender. That somehow we would make him first, that he would occupy all of us down to the cellular level. That he would occupy the contents, even in the creases of our soul skin. We're called to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. And then what about this one? <laughs> As the deer panteth, although there's different... I tried this one on you before and you knew different versions, but... As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth, thirsteth after you. These are huge claims that we pant for Christ as if a, a deer needing water to survive, that Christ is our survival. Is he? Well, something has happened to me this week. I met and have gotten to know Raphael and Malbert. Many of you have too. And they have shown a light and a fervency for the Lord, and most importantly, a joy in the Lord. If you've experienced them at Free For All, or even as he's translating, someone said, I didn't know what he was saying and wasn't sure about that last illustration and translate, lost in translation, but it was clear that his spirit was alive and fervent with the joy of the Lord. And it's that joy that has hit me between my glaucoma eyes this week. It's easy to lose sight of what really matters. Raphael and Maubert wear their faith on their sleeves, even in their the way they clapped and sung with us on Wednesday night. 
even in the way they played, it's evident that something's taken hold of them. Jesus tells us the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. And yet, doesn't it seem that this is the easiest one to forget? I have to make a confession, too. When talking with someone this week, I told them that if I had one goal, it was to have and dispense shalom, the sort of fullness, peace, wholeness. It's a great goal to have shalom. It's just that I've made it the ultimate goal. And I have lost sight of seeking Christ first, whether the shalom ever comes. It's so easy to focus our attention more around what Jesus can give me than Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And being around Raphael and Malver, I'm reminded of, of what really matters, not budgets or emails or meetings or Facebook or, I don't know, what sort of is all-consuming for you. And, of course, this is sort of an obvious for a pastor, right? But you've helped me this week, even at Free For All. We had this great discussion. And, Herb, in this text, looking at Acts 6, Herb said, the pastor here, this leader, these leader roles, they are called to be shepherds, not a veterinarian. Yeah, take hold of that one. He said it, not me. <laughs> but now, and it's so funny because Jerry is translating, and I'm like, wow, this is going to be really interesting. And then Raphael, he goes, he's like, yeah. He's, he's tracking completely. And then he's like, see, sí, he says, el pastor no es mecánica. <laughs> the pastor is not the mechanic. <laughs> the pastor is not the one who fixes or heals. In fact, he then said this great analogy. He said the pastor, in the way he sees it, is like, in a motorcycle, the pastor is the fan. And I love that analogy. That analogy that the pastor is the, or the leader here in Acts 6 is, is to blow the air of the holy wind through this organism, this vehicle. And I must confess that I have been very convicted by that. Because sometimes it's really a lot easier to be focused on the mechanics of a church, the machinations, the way things work, and we lose sight of that top priority, the place that Christ has called us to dwell with him. When I look at Stephen in this text, and Peter and John, for that matter, and the ones before, I see people who were fans. Stephen is described in this text as a person full of faith, full of wisdom, full of the Holy Spirit. And he's going around doing 
miraculous signs and wonders, and he's a threat. I think this is why these early days of the church are so defining, distinctive, differentiating than others. Because here, the disciples and the apostles have decided what really matters. What really matters at the essence is not the cultural entrapments, even adherence to the law, but to the person of Jesus Christ. That's the defining moment. And it's not just a moment. It's a series of moments. And it's powerful and it takes hold. And it's crazy that being people that love and follow Jesus as their MO, that these are the people that become a threat. So it made me think, am I a threat? When a, when a group of people come together with the centrality of worshiping and being Jesus to one another, unhealthy Unhealthy institutions and politicians should quake. Waves will happen. And they did. And everyone's out to get Stephen. By the end of the chapter, you know, they're, they're telling bribes, spreading lies. And the, but there's this fascinating ending to this chapter. They can't deny, in fact, I'm going to just read the verse. It says, all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen. And they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. They marveled. They noticed a qualitative difference that something had taken hold of this fan. And it was blowing in their direction. And they didn't like it. But they noticed it. They marveled. It was beautiful, a face of an angel. But they didn't want to have anything to do with it. People have asked, what's the difference really in a, in a Christian and a non-Christian? If they're a Christian and non-Christian walking down the street, maybe some behavioral differences. I don't know, is this, is this one of those questions that y'all thought about, talked about? It, it haunted me my whole life, my Christian life. Should it not be evidenced in our very eyes, our light, our hope, that something is different about us? I think maybe it's not so identifiable because so many times Jesus has been given a small corner or region of our life, but not the center. People who made Christ not the cornerstone, but crown molding. When we seek Jesus for Jesus himself, not what he can give us, but the relationship, we begin to experience what we're created for. And what typically happens, that all these other secondary things that we pursue, some of which are good, some of which are not as good, but Things we pursue like achievement and happiness, shalom, in my case, intimacy, knowledge, power. And yet, in, in these pursuits, we keep coming up short to what we're hoping for. As one pastor says, we've sought after good things and made them the ultimate thing. And this 
is actually good news. It's good news because it explains why we keep beating our head against the wall. It explains why we're pushing a chain that doesn't move. It explains why we're missing something when we go to bed at night. Or as I like to say, we just sit back and say, something's not right. Something's not right in me, in you, in us. So this is a call as a diagnostic crossroad. A call to question, where is our first love? Is it to desire God for all that God is and for God alone? Or is it wanting God on our own terms as long as God throws in a little job security on the side, a little happiness, a little freedom? You know, if you look at the suffering of Peter and Paul and Stephen... You won't be the first to make the correlation that following Christ means you don't have a life of suffering. It does mean, though, that the center holds when everything else is shifting around. For every soul needs an anchor. Every soul needs an anchor. But anything else we put in its place gives way and we feel that we feel that in our soul now I say all this not to make us feel guilty for times we've turned to other things and made them ultimate things it's a call to repent and be cleansed like I like to think of it as going to the chiropractor and getting realigned or a good cleanse or, or doing yoga and staying in child's pose until you remember who and whose you are. So how do you do this? How do you make Christ first? How do you go back to this, this basic central tenet that Jesus is Lord? And that's what gives the fan movement the blowing of the Holy Spirit. This is the joy. It, it's not as simple as sort of like furring furrowing your brow and clicking your heels and saying there's there's no place like Christ. You know, we can't, like, we can't conjure this. I mean, I've tried. I've tried to sort of like generate God's everything. Fill in the blank. Generate the presence. Generate faithfulness. Generate trust. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work by clicking our ruby slippers as much as I wish. So, Here's a very practical response. If it doesn't work that way, there's no place like Christ. The key ingredient is it's born in community. Stephen and Peter aren't working in a vacuum. They are being fans in their community. They come together. They're praying together. They're breaking bread together. They're having fellowship and teachings And when we come together, when we do this, when we sing songs and pray prayers and preach sermons and we're reminded of what's most important. And my hope is that we're also talking about it during the week with people in some small setting where you're getting to to fan the flame a little bit, to ask the hard questions. Who is this Christ? We had in Sunday school class. Right, Holly, Anna, and Aaron? Who do you say that I am? 
man, they will show you. When we're being honest about our struggles and reminded where our hope comes from, something breaks loose. And we need that. <laughs> That's pretty amazing, is what I'm going to say. I think part, you know, another thing that always sort of interested me, too, is is this sharing our faith piece about, you know, I don't know about this whole sharing Jesus bit. I think this could be this very interesting exercise to be like, and very telling about what feels authentic and what doesn't. Maybe Jesus didn't sound so great to us. What, what is that about? To, to enter into some of that discomfort, not to be afraid. To talk about not just the historic Christ, but the cosmic Christ. Who, as Colossians says, the Christ who holds all things together before time. And then beyond the community and the small group setting, it does continue to practice by individuals. There are practices that aid in our being reminded of Christ's centrality. Try a mantra, mantra, chant, scripture that brings your wandering mind back. That's for some um, something simple like you're my all in all. Every time something feels weighty and this poor, you feel a little more porous. Things are moving in and out of you and feel a little out of control. You're my all in all. You know, something that sort of brings you back. Or the beautiful, powerful words of Paul. For to me, to live is Christ. Is Christ. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Possibly for you, maybe journaling works. <coughs> Questioning what gets in the way of Christ being the joy and fervor of your life. Or try meditating and see what gets in the way. That always works for me. <laughs> oh, there it is again. Ah, oh, there it is again. <coughs> or simply ask in the quiet or loud moments of the day, what am I putting in front of Jesus right now? What am I making bigger than him right now? It's a helpful practice. Is Jesus bigger than my fear? Is Jesus bigger than my ambition? Is Jesus bigger than my people-pleasing? Is Jesus bigger than my sorrow? Is Jesus bigger than my anger? These are important questions. For Jesus is the only fuel that will keep us going. Everything else is a subpar energy source. Not renewable. Finite. I love what Raphael says. He focused on one thing, the vida abundancia, the abundant life. That with Christ, it doesn't guarantee easiness. We talked about that in Sunday school. But he gives us abundant life. The life that is really life, as it says in 1 Timothy. The source of all that is. The enoughness. He is the self-emptying Savior. 
the crucified companion, the light and exhaustible Lord. And I can't end a sermon about Christ's centrality without ending with the Philippian hymn. Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above all names. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Providence, let us be fans to each other. Let us move in ways of community that we pull back the flaps of that soul skin. And in community, confess, live, and practice that Jesus is Lord of all. Amen. Oh,